0: This morning, our Advent theme is peace, and our sermon text, as you know, is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, and then tonight, we will wrap up our celebration of Advent with a Christmas Eve service at 6.30 p.m. I'm hoping you all come back, you bring friends and family so far Through our Advent sermons, we have read the Christmas story, which is the account of the birth of Christ. We've read the Christmas story through the perspective of Joseph, and then through the perspective of Mary. And now today, we will read the Christmas story through the perspective of a few shepherds. So think of this sermon as unwrapping together the greatest gift God gives us, which is peace. A lot to work through, so we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together under your covering, Thank you for bringing us together today with a purpose to worship you, to make much of you. God, help us now as we come to the preaching of your word. We know that we do not live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from your mouth. So help us as we look at these words from you to understand to believe, to love you more. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you are using one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you, you'll find our text on page 556. John, this is really loud to me. That might just be... My problem if it is, no problem. By this time, as we pick up the story, Jesus has been born. Mary and Joseph were in the little town of Bethlehem, and Mary went into labor. The local inn was full, and so they ended up finding shelter in a barn, or maybe a stable, or... Early church tradition tells us a cave. It's likely they took shelter in a cave and that became the very unexpected birthplace of the Son of God. And then at some point, probably so that exhausted mom and dad could rest, the baby was wrapped up in swaddling cloths and laid unexpectedly in a manger, which is a feeding trough for livestock. That is the account we find in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Then, in our text today, Luke shifts scenes from the cave to a nearby pasture, where a group of shepherds are guarding their sheep we pick up the account in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds would have been among the few awake at night, alert and protecting their flocks from wild animals or thieves. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We are told an angel appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We obviously don't know exactly what that looked like, but it was beautiful, it was intense. And it was unmistakably supernatural, which is why the shepherds were filled with great fear. And so the angel reassures them. He reassured them with these words, verses 10 and 11, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These were very unexpectedly humble beginnings for the greatest man in human history. These are very humble beginnings. He was the King, the Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. And He was born. He was born to a young, poor virgin. He was born in a cave. He was laid to nap in a feeding trough. And now, who are the first people to receive An announcement of his birth. Royalty. Rich and powerful. Relatives. No. Shepherds. The shepherds were largely despised. In this day. They weren't even allowed to give testimony in court. Because they had a reputation of being dishonest trespassers. Who sort of ignored laws and boundaries. So it is striking who first receives the good news. It brings to mind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he tells us that God chooses what is foolish and weak and low and despised to shame those who are powerful. And of noble birth, and who think they are wise and strong. Now, in verse 12, the angel sends the shepherds and he tells them what to look for. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There may have been several babies that night wrapped in swaddling cloths, but there would only be one found in a manger. And then before the shepherds can pack up their stuff and leave, their angel was joined by other angels and they all broke out in song. And this song is really the focus of the sermon today. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels, like Mary, you were here last week, they burst out in song at the occasion of Jesus' birth. And they sang, basically... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Jesus had come, and with him glory to God and peace on earth. I think this is probably the most famous Christmas verse in the Bible. A lot of people in church, out of church, Christian, not Christian, know this verse, have heard this verse. Most people have heard it. Maybe this will jog some of your memories in the King James Version. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So when I was growing up, this was the Christmas theme. Peace on earth. Everywhere you looked, you would see that theme, peace on earth. Today, I have seen it on countless Christmas cards. By and large, if you were to ask somebody, whether they are a Christian or not, what is Christmas about? I think most of them would answer peace on earth. But what is it? What does that actually mean? Peace. Peace on earth. When Jesus was born, he came to bring peace. That's what the angels are saying. But what did the angels mean by peace? What did Luke mean? The author of this account, by peace. What what did the other New Testament writers who talk about peace, what did they mean what should we mean when we say Jesus came to bring peace on earth that's the question not what does it mean to you not what does it mean to me as if it's a subjective and God didn't actually mean anything but what does God mean What did the angels mean when they said, at the announcement of the birth of Christ, here it is, peace on earth? So I'd like to answer that. This is the the great gift that we're going to unwrap together. But be prepared. The answer might make some of you very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. The answer, what is this peace on earth, it might make some of us uncomfortable. So I think the best way to move forward is to start with clarifying what this peace is not. What is this peace not? And then we'll best understand what this peace on earth is and then how we can attain it. So here's the first thing this peace on earth is not. This is not world peace. I think that is what most people think. The classic sort of beauty pageant answer world peace. Jesus did not come to bring world peace, He did not come to primarily bring peace between warring nations. And peoples, this is not an international peace that the angels were singing about. This is not a political peace that the angels were singing about. In fact, listen to what Jesus says, and if we want to understand peace, it's great if you can stay in this same gospel account and see how does Luke talk about peace. So, in Luke chapter twenty-one, verse nine, we see that this is not a world peace when it says. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Now, there is a debate as to when Jesus was talking about there, but the bottom line is that these wars and tumults would take place after Jesus ascended into heaven, and there would not be. At least initially, political peace on earth. And of course, history has proven this. If Jesus came to bring world peace, then Christians would have to concede that he and his followers have been unsuccessful. The 20th century. In terms of bloodshed resulting from war was the worst in history. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 million people killed just in the 20th century. But that is not what the angels or the New Testament writers are talking about. Not world peace. Second, this is not relational peace. Some people would say, okay, it's not about world peace, but it's about relational peace. Jesus came to bring an end to conflict between you and other people. Jesus came so that, so that people would not bother you and you would just sort of get along with everybody. This is not why Jesus came. In fact, I know that some of you have experienced more conflict in your life because you're a Christian I know some of you have lost your spouses because of your commitment to Christ he did not come to bring relational peace what did Jesus say in Luke 12 verses 51 through fifty three. Here by the way is an unused Christmas text. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. <laughs> that doesn't work on a card. You gotta expound that baby. <laughs> Do you think, Jesus said, that I have come to give peace on earth? No. What does he say, though? No, I tell you, but rather division. Man. Verse 52. For from now on, and he's not talking about warring nations, right? That's not what this means. People's going to war with other peoples in the name of Christ. That is not what he's talking about. Where is the division? It's relational From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. You see, in many ways, Jesus comes to create disturbance in your life. Not comfort and calm. He actually... Creates disturbance in your life. Not comfort and calm. Not relational peace. That's not the peace on earth. The angels were talking about. Third. I have four. Total. In case you're wondering. Good night. How many are there? There's four. Third. This is not inner peace. Jesus did not come to bring internal psychological, Scientology, Oprah Kung Fu Panda inner peace. That works on a card, by the way. (laughs) But some see Jesus this way, right? Some would see Jesus as a sort of key to personal fulfillment that ends up leaving you just sort of unbothered and unaffected, By the world around you. A sort of spiritual equilibrium. But that is just not true. Now it is true. There is. An internal peace. That comes through Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4. But that peace that Christians can have. Is not the absence of internal conflict. It's peace alongside. Internal conflict. And. And. Paul is the one who tells us that elsewhere. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I love Paul. He's been so helpful for me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, great, mighty Paul, maybe the greatest, I would say, the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he says, I do not understand my own actions. Thank you, Paul, for saying that, and amen, and amen, because I so often do not understand my actions. Why did I do that? This is the question. Why did I say that? He goes on, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, wretched man that I am. Yeah, that sounds like Paul has tons of inner peace. He doesn't, right? He says, There is this within me, this his words are waging war. And it's, it's beyond my understanding. And it doesn't go the way that I want to go. That does not sound, at the very least, right? Like the absence of conflict. That sounds like a disturbance. So the angels are also not talking about inner peace. And then fourth. This is not partial or eventual peace. This is another thing that happens. This peace gets watered down. Don't water down this peace. It is not a partial peace. It's not some subpar peace. It is not an eventual peace. This is not a delayed peace. This is not theoretical peace. This is not someday peace. This is not ideological peace. This is right Now, peace. This is absolute peace. This is peace worthy for angels to come down from heaven and sing about. So it's not some partial peace. It's not some way off in the future peace. Whatever this peace is, is peace. What did the angels say? On earth. Not in heaven. Think about this. This is not peace in heaven. The angels are talking about peace on earth. So it's not those things. Now, Christians should pursue political peace. Christians should pursue relational peace. Christians should pursue internal peace. Peace, blessed are the peacemakers and Christians may experience a degree of these kinds of peace. But again. This is not the peace the angels are talking about. So what is it? We're ready to answer that. What is the absolute peace that Jesus brings. That I can experience. Right now. The King James Version. I mentioned earlier. Is actually a, a poor translation. On this verse. Translators. Pretty much universally agree. That as great a translation as it is. And it is. If you read the King James Version. It reads. On earth peace. Good will Toward men. It actually should read something like this. And hear the difference. On earth peace toward men to whom God has good will. You hear the difference. In other words, there was a time when there was ill will between man and God. There was conflict. There was hostility. There was war. But now, through Christ, there is peace. The ESV. Pastor Greg read. The ESV says, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So do you see that this is not peace? Peace. Between you and others. This is not peace within yourself. This is peace between you and God. That's the peace the angels are talking about. Not peace between you and others. It's a good thing. Not peace within yourself. It can be a good thing. But peace between you and God. That is the absolute peace right now, peace that Jesus came to bring. Now, a good Christmas carol gets this right. Not all Christmas carols are good, but a good Christmas hymn will get this right. And no one, in my opinion, said it better than Charles Wesley in his hymn, as we sang today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, reflecting on this verse He said it concisely and perfectly. Hark! The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. And then here's the definition. God and sinners reconciled. That is the peace on earth that Jesus came to bring. This means your greatest need Is reconciliation with God. Whatever needs you know you have. Whatever needs you think you have as a human being. Your greatest need is reconciliation with God. Your greatest need is peace with God. Your greatest need is to be brought into peace with God. And that is the peace that Jesus brings. That is the peace the angels sang about. There is still conflict in the world. We're reminded of this every day. There is still conflict in your home. There is still conflict in your own heart. But Christian, do you know where there is now no conflict between you and God? No conflict, no enmity, no hostility, no war, no hate between you and God. This word peace has already been used by Luke. This is a great place for us to go once before. In Luke chapter 1, verse 79, where Zechariah, the father of just born John the Baptist, is prophesying about his son. And he says in verse 76 and following, let's listen to how he uses the word peace. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into, here it is, the way. Of peace. So what is the peace that Zechariah is talking about? He's talking about salvation, he says. And forgiveness of sins, he says. And the mercy of God, he says. He is talking about peace with God. Let me show you two other New Testament texts that talk about this. Here's Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to Paul again in Colossians 1 verse 21. And you, think about what Paul says here. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So why was Jesus born? Why did Jesus come in flesh according to Colossians chapter 1? Why did he take on a body of of flesh so that he could die so that he could die reconcile you to god and present you holy and blameless there is peace christian between you and god because you are found blameless in christ that is Absolute peace between you and God. That is concrete peace. That is tangible peace. That is can't get any better peace. In Christ, Christian, you are without blemishes. You can't have less blemishes than no blemishes. This is peace on earth. Do you have it? Do you have peace with God? Is God at peace with you? Notice I intentionally did not ask, Are you at peace with God? Friends, that's not the issue. God has not offended you and in need of your forgiveness. But you have offended God and you are in desperate need of His forgiveness. So I'll ask it again. Is God at peace with you? I think there are a lot of people inside and outside of churches who think this peace of God is something that they initiate and something that they declare. Many today think our job is to sort of evaluate God and evaluate Christianity and to think about it and then decide whether or not we want to approve of and accept God. That is backwards, What did the angels say on earth? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels did not say peace among those who are pleased with God. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Another way of asking, do you have this peace on earth? Is is God pleased with you in Jesus Christ. Peace on earth. God and sinners reconciled. That is the greatest gift. That's why we sing. And if that didn't happen, we'd have nothing to sing about. But here's the problem with gifts. You know this. Here's why everyone doesn't just accept and appreciate this gift. You and I will not accept a gift if we do not want it or we do not think that we need it. Let me illustrate this for you. Many gifts are given to people, and think about the own gifts, that, your own gifts that you've given, or gifts that you have received. Many gifts are given to someone to meet a perceived need, which is why we're offended at gifts sometimes. Some of you are with me so far. There are certain gifts you give me, and that gift is telling me that you think I need this. So this is the wife who gives her husband a a gym membership. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate this. Why are you giving me a Here's your house cleaning gift certificate I got for you, too. <laughs> right? Have you ever opened a gift like that? <laughs> right? Why are you giving me this gift? What are you trying to tell me by giving me this gift? Because oftentimes we give a gift to somebody, it's because we perceive a need. And if you receive that gift, and, and if you don't think you need that gift, I, I, don't, I don't know why you're giving me a book on communication. I don't know why you're giving me a, a book on managing finances. I don't know why you're giving me a, a book on dieting and nutrition. It, what you'll do, and what I do, is you just kind of nod and say thank you. And then you put it back in the box. You'll save face, but that's it. You don't, you're not actually going to receive the gift. If the tag's still on it, you know where it's going. <laughs> and most people do not believe they need peace with God. So we put it back in a box. And stow it away. Many think... Of course, God is at peace with me. I'm a... Can you finish that sentence? I'm a good person. Of course, God is at peace with me. Why? This is how our culture thinks. Why wouldn't God be pleased with me? I'm not... I'm not bad. Or I'm not that bad. Or I'm not as bad as him. Not as bad as her. Relatively speaking, is what we all mean... I'm a good person. Listen, you will never, ever, ever receive this gift from God. You will never place your trust in Jesus unless you understand that your greatest need is peace with God because you are at war with God. There is enmity between you and God. There is hostility between you and God. And God, let me say it most plainly you hate God. There is never a gift offered, never has there been a gift offered that requires so much swallowing of pride as salvation through Jesus Christ, where I agree that I am a wretched sinner in need of grace. Let me read a couple verses. Romans eight seven for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot Romans three ten through eleven and sixteen through eighteen as it is written none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God. Before their eyes. The problem between us and God. Is not ignorance. And so we need more information about God. The problem is not indifference. And so we need motivation toward God. Our problem is hostility to God. And so we need reconciliation. We desperately need reconciliation and reconciliation is only to be found in Jesus Christ so this is the peace this is the the greatest gift that we have god and sinners reconciled so let me try to bring this together and Conclude and talk to two different people who are in the room this morning. And you all will fall into one of these two categories. You are either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You are either a Christian this morning or you are not a Christian. Now, I will say, before I say the things that I'm going to say next, I will say to be careful. To be careful. Because there have been so many who said, I am a Christian. And they were not. So, don't check out. And don't make assumptions. And don't jump to conclusions. There's no need to panic. If you're a Christian, then... Be assured and confirmed in your faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian, but you think you're a Christian, you want to know that. You want to, please have that humility. You want to know that right now. You do not want to find that out when you die and your soul is separated from your body and it goes to meet Jesus. That is not when you want to find out whether or not he's going to say come in and enjoy everlasting fellowship with me or depart from me for I never knew you. Listen, you would not be the first, you would not be the thousandth to have that happen. So take this seriously. First, let me say something to those of you who are not Christians here this morning. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. This is, by God's grace, already it's been been shed on your life. That, That you could be in this place this morning and hear the good news and hear the gospel. If you are not a Christian, it is true what... We just saw in God's word you are far worse than you ever thought. Your condition before God is probably far worse than you ever thought. You are more sinful than you ever dared to believe. But the good news The good news of the gospel is that you may be in Christ far more loved and accepted than you ever thought possible. You see, this is the gospel. It's worse than you thought and it's better than you thought. Through God's word, we learn that it is worse than I thought. But God's grace is even better than I thought. So if you are not a Christian, I want to tell you the good news. There is a God. There is a God and He is good. And He is great. He made all things, including you. He made you to love Him. He made you to Worship him, to know him, to trust him, to obey him, to enjoy him. And if you are here today and you are not a Christian, you have not loved him. You've rejected him, you've disobeyed him, you've ignored him, you've gone your own way. This has not gone well for you. And it will not go well for you. When you die. Your soul will live on. Either to God or away from God. If you lived away from God on earth. When you die you will be sent away from God. Forever. The good news. Is that God is merciful. God is merciful. He has made a way for you to be forgiven. He's made a way for you to be changed. He's made a way for you to live with him forever. The way is Jesus. The hero. The promised rescuer. From the beginning of time as we know it. The promised deliverer. The hero of the story. Who came for God's glory. And your good. He lived. He suffered. He died. He rose again. In the place of sinners. So that sinners. Like you. No matter what you have done. Could be reconciled to God. So what must you do to be saved? You must confess and repent of your sin and turn to Jesus placing your trust in him so that you may have peace on earth forever. This is the good news for those of you who are here today and are not Christians. And now for those of you who call yourself Christians. We're harder on the ones we love, right? And that's a good thing. There's tenderness in it. But we're hard on those that we love. Because we know that soft-spokenness and soft theology never helped anyone. So for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I think, and here's where we need to be careful. There's a default when we hear a sermon like this. Maybe you hear these verses and you are a professing Christian and you think, I don't hate God. I've never hated God. If you're offended by these words, you think, I love God. I don't hate him. I love God. So here's my final question for you. Which God? Which God are we talking about? The God of the Bible? Please think about this. Or a God you have made up? Which God do you love? Which God have you sworn allegiance to? The God of the Bible? Or a God you have made up, a figment of your imagination, who resembles the God of the Bible, but has been forged by you into something more palatable and predictable? Friends, this is rampant within churches today. Do you believe? We start saying things like this and actually describing God. Do you believe in the God who is sovereign? Do you believe in the God who rejects your good works? Do you believe in the God who sanctifies you through suffering? Do you believe in the God who sent the Israelites into Canaan to kill every man, woman, and child? Do you believe in the God who lets Satan torment Job nearly to death? The God who struck down Ananias and Sapphira for dishonestly reporting their real estate gains? The God who says your heart is black and your motives are impure? The God who sends to hell all who do not believe? Now the hostility starts bubbling up. Now the hostility bubbles up. If you had a room full of people and you asked everyone who believed in God to raise their hand, and then everyone who believed in God raised their hand, and then you asked another question and you said, now, everyone raise your hand who believe is the God of the Bible, the creator of heavens and earth, the one in whom they must submit every inch of their life to or spend eternity in hell. Raise your hand if you believe in that, God you would have two very different results. Is the God you claim, Christian, is the God you claim to believe and love the real God? Or is it an image of God that you have carved up on your own? What if you got close to the real God? Would you fall down in love and worship? Or would you run in terror? Or would you shake your fist and spit? If you got close to the real God. The truth is, people despise God. People hate God. People are at enmity with God. And so we need God to overcome our hatred. And we need God to break through and take hard hearts and give us soft hearts. We need God to change our hearts and reconcile us to himself so that we may actually have peace on earth forever let's pray our father in heaven thank you for being our father for for changing us and adopting us into your family and giving us a seat at your table where we share an inheritance with our Older brother Jesus, thank you that this older brother is also the one whom you sent to die for us. To give himself as a sacrifice, to, as a substitute, to pay the punishment that we should have to pay. That he would suffer and die in our place. God, thank you for this gift so that in him we could be brought to you. So that we could be reconciled to you. God, for those in this room who do not know today peace on earth, who do not know this absolute, concrete, tangible peace that happens right now and lasts on this earth as it is now and as you will remake it forever. God, for those who are not at peace with you, God, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and that they would cry out in faith to you that their hearts would be filled with love and worship and devotion to your son, Jesus, who is the Christ. And we pray these things in his name, whose birth we celebrate today. Amen.